Welcome to Woodsboro, a quiet little burg that is about to become a media circus. A teenage girl and her boyfriend are brutally murdered, and it has some connection to a murder that happened a year prior. This killer, dubbed Ghostface because of his frightening mask, is murdering everyone connected to high school senior Sidney Prescott. And Sidney must figure out the killer's identity before she runs out of friends and family. In what many horror fans consider to be Wes Craven's masterpiece, this 1996 horror classic started a franchise that is six films and one TV series strong. This is Scream. I'm Connor Izagari. Fuck that show. I'm Carol Luger. <laughs> and this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the new and improved Filmgasm podcast. In honor of the release of the critically acclaimed Scream 6, Caleb and I are going back to the beginning with the OG Scream, one of the most celebrated films in horror history. And we, uh, back in the olden days of the podcast, the before four times, as Cloud Atlas would say, we covered Scream. That was Josh's first episode uh, with Austin and I. And it was a long-ass one because he had a lot to say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, he, were, you were uh, on a boat. And you didn't get to play with us. No, I was on my fucking COVID-19 deployment for yep. 11 months. So for anyone who was complaining, unless, you know, you had serious shit you were facing during COVID. I know some of us went through some serious shit. For those who were just complaining about just staying at home while you still had a job, fuck you. I was on a <laughs> boat for 11 months. <laughs> we did Scream. We did Scream 2. And then you came along and got to do Scream 3. So oh, the one you hated, you got to do, which was, you know, yay. <laughs> but now that we've, you know, rebooted the show, started from scratch, anything we've covered on any of our previous shows is fair game to try again. So here we are. You finally get to do Scream. Yeah, right. Post-pandemic, not on a boat anymore. It's great. <laughs> Uh, so first up, before we get into this, uh, a bit about the new structure of the show. If you've been listening to our content for a while now, you'll know we've started to change some stuff up. Basically, our new structure will be kind of a Frankenstein version of our three previous shows. We're going to have the opening question and production info from Filmgasm, the personal awards from Oscar Sunday, and we'll end with the what's in the box segment from Beyond the Bat. Uh, best of everything into a cool new show structure. Uh Colton and I recorded a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. We'll be launching back um, in August for the new movie using this structure. Went like clockwork. Should have been doing this years ago. It's great. It's perfect. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing this with Scream. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this. And, you know, a structure that's eerily, eerily similar to Beyond the Bad. But I didn't have to do all the work. So it's actually kind of nice being on the other end of that script. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and if my opening monologue sounded familiar to longtime fans, I did indeed recycle the same script that I used when I did Scream the first time. But because I got Caleb here, it, the content will be different because that's how it works. Content. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so to start out, Caleb, what's your history with Scream? Why do you love this movie so much? Uh, so it was one of the later Russ Craven films I got into, um, you know, because I 
latched on to Nightmare on Elm Street first. And I had always heard about Scream. It was one of those things where I was like, everyone talked about when I was a kid growing up. And I was like, oh, okay, I want to check this out. And I, you know, ever so often would put blind buys on my like Christmas birthday wish list from like for my parents for stuff. And I put Scream on there and I put like all three of them. Because that was back when there was all three. You could get the DVDs, you know, simpler times. And um, straight enough for my birthday, my mom had got me all three screens for DVDs on DVD. And I remember she was dropping a, a cousin, a young cousin of mine was staying over. They were t- taking him back to his parents. He stayed over our house for like a weekend. He was going to take him back to San Antonio. And while they were gone, I was like, hey, I can finally pop open these DVDs. And so I, cause I, I wasn't feeling good. So I stayed behind and um, I watched Scream. That's the first time I watched Scream. I was sick, which was great. Um, but I fell in love. I immediately fell in love to the point I remember, like my my mom and siblings came back. I think I was on like Scream Two. They were like, "Oh, we watched." I was like, "Oh, Scream!" And they actually watched the rest of it with me, and we ended up watching like the whole thing together. Um, and I have just been in love since. Um, I you know I think it's a film that I know a lot of people say it's a very obviously very rewarding if you're a horror fan and you get all the references. I recently read it. It was an Aquaman Blade disgusting. I forget who the author was, but someone made a good argument for why actually it's a perfect first time horror film because it does like, yeah, it's throwing references, but it, because of that, it gets you very interested in saying like, okay, well, what else, what other things it's referencing? I kind of want to check that stuff out too. Um, and it, it's just to me like that perfect blend of like humor and horror and like smart, but not pretition, you know, being too, uh, snobby with its smartness like it's just like Russ Craven and Kevin Williamson that cannot be talked about enough because it was his tight tight script that even you know was reason this got made um that just it all comes together perfectly in this film I have loved them since I first watched them you know I made you know I've had them on DVD I had the individual blu-ray releases when I was upgrading um I still got the set that I believe you got me one year um for Christmas that's the set I still have actually to this day um and it's just a series i've watched like i've you know i've seen at least the first few like way too many times because i I just always find myself just watching them one after the other usually yeah i figured yeah this is a there's very few horror fans that don't dig scream it's because it's so meta because it's very aware of what it is and it embraces so much of horror history it's like you know horror eating itself almost and that's great you know it's a big meal uh I watched Scream for the first time when I was about 14. Uh, I had seen, I'd seen scary movie. Uh, I had no frame of reference for that. So I just, you know, thought it was a goofy, stupid slasher parody. And I was like, Oh, this is funny. And then I, I watched Scream. I got it in Netflix DVD in the mail when, you know, that was just, that was big. I watched it and I was like, Oh, this is cool. So I got the second one in the mail. I got the third one in the mail. And then that year for Halloween, I dressed up as Ghostface. I, I, I hit, like, I got into that way later than everybody else did. <laughs> I was, I was like the only Ghostface. <laughs> did you get like one of those masks that you could like do the fake blood? You know, nah, you like, regular white masks and the ones that can like, you can pump like fake blood into the damn thing. I remember that. And I remember the like goofy one with the tongue hanging out from scary movie. Yeah, uh, I got the classic no no blood, just black hood, white mask, classic ghost face costume. And, uh, 
yeah, it was, they're fun movies. They're enjoyable. They're exciting. They're, I didn't, you know, when I first saw them, I didn't know the twist. So I, I was shocked every time. Oh yeah. I was able to avoid the twist. So like each one was like, Oh shit. Um, every single time. Scary movie did kind of fuck up the twist for the first movie. Cause you know, it's the boyfriend. Like I, you know, (laughs) but you know, two through six, no spoilers, which was nice. Uh, yeah, and this has been, you know, a long time coming. You know, when we first decided to reboot the show, Scream was kind of the first movie I wrote down because, you know, it was coinciding with Scream 6. I was like, we got to do something with Scream. Uh, so I'm glad we did. Yeah, this is always a fun series. A fun series in general. So obviously, the first film, you know, what it hasn't been said at this point, but it's still always fun to talk about this. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, in case anyone, uh, uh, hasn't seen the box office yet for the new one. I mean, this franchise is still very relevant. The new, you know, Scream 6 has broken uh, franchise records and is like far exceeded expectations for its opening weekend. So, like, it, it's still going strong, stronger than ever. Yeah, which is rare for a horror franchise like, you know, like this. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, the Child's Play remake fizzled out. Texas Chainsaw on Netflix, like some people liked it, some people didn't. It was pretty divisive. Yeah. Scream uh, has yet uh, to fail. <laughs> yeah. Even uh Saul, as much as I love Saul, like let's be honest, the past few films have been two different attempts to revitalize the franchise, and apparently they haven't latched. So we're getting a third attempt with uh this upcoming one that has nothing to do with Jigsaw, has nothing to do with Spiral. It's just another attempt to rejuvenate the franchise. Go socks. I can't wait. Yeah, Chucky and Scream are like the two franchises still going strong. Child's Play remake, notwithstanding the actual or like ongoing storyline, is still going strong. Yep. And as you know, with our last filmgasm, we talked, or our previous last filmgasm, when we went in depth on you know the current status of Freddy and Jason, that's you know at this point kind of a lost cause. Yeah, I mean, granted, we now have some hope for Jason. I do think that that Peacock show is going to kick some butts it looks like it already is kicking some butts and sean cunningham um but yeah it it's taking while. apparently the last thing i heard with the nightmare on street thing is actually they they don't know who the fuck owns the rights <laughs> my god you'd think somebody would be keeping track of that shit it's yeah only a multi-million dollar franchise like i know i was like so we have mike flanagan who wants to do a nightmare on Elm street and we can't figure out who the fuck owns the rights that's awesome I thought it was the Craven Estate holding the keys to all that stuff. Well, apparently, I guess I I don't know. So apparently, no one actually knows. Jesus Christ! Well, thankfully, they figured out who owns Scream and were able to do something yeah. with that. Well, no, we figured that out because that company fell and crumbled, and all its library had to get bought bought by other people. Well, I don't want to say you know. New Line should consider that, but you know what? Maybe. I feel like Bob Shea. I feel like Bob Shea knows who owns Nightmare on He's not fucking saying. <laughs> well, yeah. The last thing we want is another pissing contest with producers. Oh God. Yeah. So my yeah. so my question for you uh, to get things rolling here. You're probably the biggest Wes Craven fan I've ever known, and I'm just I'm curious. You've seen, I assume, all if not like most if not all of his work, at least all of his notable work. Yeah. What to you, if you had to pick, is Wes Craven's masterpiece? 
his masterpiece? You're a bastard for asking this question. <laughs> uh oh fuck. Oh, that's tough. Um I think oh boy, wow. Um <laughs> dude, because I have like I have okay, so the contenders I have right now, other other you know what? I'm gonna just take out Scream and Nightmare, because that's the too easy. That's just two too easy ones. And now I'm debating between people under the stairs and and the last house on the left and hills have eyes. Um <laughs> you know what? If you were to take out Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street, I would go people under the stairs. Because as much as I like Hills of Eyes and Last House on the Left, I like the Hills of Eyes remake a bit better. Um I do. I, I do. I know. Hot take. Wow. But also not that hot of a take because Wes Craven did produce it, so don't come at me. Shut the fuck up. Um and last house is great, but like let's be honest, rewatchability for me it's up there. I can rewatch it, but I understand people can't. Um but people on the stairs, I the reason I say that is because that was a recent watch we did for um another Wes Craven centered thing we did. Um, where I watched that and Shocker and I, actually I think there may have been something else. Um, but with that, that was the one I was not expecting to have nearly as much fun as I did with it is a zany, kooky, bonkers fucking film that should not work. And somehow it does completely work. Don't know how, don't know why, but it does. And I remember it moves. It moves so good. Um, the pacing on that movie film was great. I liked the whole like the weird mom dad shit going on. The the, the it was like a, I think it was those an overtone of incest hinted at that was kind of creepy and made an extra ache feeling with the movie. Um, just the idea of like the people that lived under that fucking house that that shit was creepy. So if I were to say like you take out Scream and Nightmare, probably people on the stairs would actually be my unlikely pick. But if you're talking like if you include those two in the conversation, it it's a toss up between Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street. Why would you not include it? It's like saying, you know, what's Leonardo da Vinci's best painting? But we're going to take out the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper. Well, yeah, because that's too easy. There's a reason those are the films that everyone goes to. I I want to make it hard. I don't want to go with the easy option. Ah, People Under the Stairs was 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 oddball. It was it was interesting. It was weird. Uh, I don't know. I think I got to go with Music of the Heart. I hate you. Those inner city kids can play. What was Sir, it? I don't remember. I'm, I'm going to just plow through this. Um, Serpent <laughs> <laughs> of the Rainbow was really good. I really like that one. That is a good. It's a voodoo thriller. I got to say, for you know, being serious now, for me, it's New Nightmare. <laughs> I really love that movie. See, if I were picking, I would go with the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, New Nightmare is great. I like New Nightmare a lot, but God, that first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, introduction of Freddy's good. Elm Street's good, but New Nightmare, it was something so primal and creative and new. You know, the idea of a demon wearing Freddy and trying to enter this world through a movie. That's such a cool concept. And Freddy, like, the you know, the new Freddy design was so freaky looking. It's like a like, it looked like a demon wearing Freddy, like what they said. It was, it was well, it was closer to his original design for Freddy. 
there you go. So like New Nightmare was, you know, the original concept was in there. I think yeah. if I had to pick a favorite, it's, it's that one. But I get why everyone, you know, picks Scream. Because Scream is, you know, it's the, it's the ultimate meta horror adventure. It's Wes Craven, you know, coming back, you know, after people told him. Some kid was like, you know, you're too soft. You should try to kick some ass again. He's like, you know what? Maybe so. And that was Scream. Well, and also Scream is the is the more consistent franchise. Now, granted, keep in mind, like, Russ Craven wasn't actively involved in every single Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You know, it's very well known the falling out him and Bob Shea had. Um, I love the shade the that time. he throws in, in the first Scream when, at the beginning when the, the killer calls Drew Barrymore and is like, you know, Elm Street was good. He's like, yeah, the first one, but the other one sucked. Yeah. It's funny he does that, too, because he was involved in the third film. He had like a like a producer like writing role for it. That's you know, so he was involved with that one. But I mean, also it's also Frank Darabont's good. It does a whole story on that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny. I, I always laugh at that because yeah, it's like I think that's what kind of taints that one in a way. Is that like Nightmare is great. Nightmare on Elm Street is great. New Nightmare is great. Obviously, everyone loves Train Warriors. I love Train Warriors. Um, but again, like. It wasn't a consistent franchise, whereas I think as a franchise, Scream is so much stronger. Because one, up until his death, he was actively involved um, in the first four films. And even the third one, while it's like my personal least favorite, compared to like some other fucking franchise lows I've watched, I can still watch Scream 3 and have a good time. Like, I'm not like, like having to work my way through it on a like a marathon watch i'm just like hey okay screen three is next like i i can still enjoy this shit out of it it's just my per- it's like this it's elite it's my least favorite in the franchise and i would give it a seven out of ten if that makes sense whereas i look i just sat through cheapest creepers reborn people and you want to talk about low shitty fucking sequels <laughs> watch that movie it is, yeah, it's rare for a franchise to be, you know, six films in and still exciting and fresh and unpredictable. And, you know, Craven did that for the first four films, and these Radio Silence guys have picked up that torch and are carrying it fucking strong. So, yeah, I his masterpiece is probably Scream, probably Elm Street, depending on who you're, depends on who you're talking to, really. But, you yeah. know, like we said, he's got, you know, some great movies besides that. Serpent in the Rainbow, Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. Even Shocker was was fun. Yeah, it, I mean, I I kind of lost my interest towards the end of the movie, but yeah, it, I mean, he it's one of those films that he kind of went for it. I was like, all right, um, that's the thing too is like I always like to tell people like his career is interesting because yeah, he also he has like Nightmare and Scream to his name. But then you watch like if you just watch those and then you watch like Last House and I'm talking the original films, not the remakes. You know, I do stand by the Hills of Eyes remake. It's fucking great. Um. But the original House of Ice and Last House Left, it's it's almost like those. You think how's that Russ Craven? Because it's such a like a vicious, pissed off, primal Craven you're getting. And then you watch some of his other stuff, like People on the Stairs, Serpent the Rainbow, um, Deadly Blessings, Shocker, you know what have you around that that period. And it's also a different Russ. It's not. It's a. It's a. It seems to be a more mixture of like that hard edge with the more mainstream stuff he was starting to do at that time well i think that's you know a lot of directors start out trying to you know get their vision on celluloid immediately 
Like, you know, I want to, this is what I want. I want to be vicious. I want to be unforgettable, disgusting, freakish, monstrous. People are going to remember me. And then, you know, they take that and they apply that to lessons they learn along the way. We see that with like, you know, Spielberg started out with Duel, which is a pretty by the numbers horror film about a guy fighting a pissed off trucker. You know, Scorsese started with, you know, stuff like Who's That Knocking at My Door and Boxcar Bertha and Taxi Driver, all vicious movies about just horrible people doing horrible shit to each other. And yeah, you know, very few filmmakers start out with, you know, some kind of compromised, neat, you know, perfectly symmetrical film. They got to figure out how to make that. So they're starting out with low budget, gross shit a lot of the time, especially in the 70s. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Exploitation flicks were huge at that time. Low budget, easy to film. You can pretty much abuse whoever you wanted to. It's yeah, that's the beauty of filmmaking in the 70s. No one cared. <laughs> yeah. Don't want the law servo now. <laughs> oh no, no. There was no union. What are you talking about? Um, well, there probably was, but you sure as shit weren't in it. <laughs> you got 50 bucks in cash and had to bring your own lunch. <laughs> uh, yeah that was fun yeah like like i know i know i kind of made that hard myself but i was like god if it's too easy for me to just say hey scream i went on street so i'm like let's let's make this a little bit more fun and actually name some other stuff that people aren't expecting um especially with west craven yeah at least with west craven you know there's options if you t- if, if we were talking like george lucas and I said, you know, what's what's George Lucas's masterpiece? And you told me American Graffiti. I tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> we all know what it is. I mean, hey, look. With that said, as much as I love us, Craven, we've talked about it before. Like when he missed, he missed. So like, if I ask that, and the first answer you tell me is like cursed, I'm gonna be like, what the fuck is wrong? Or my soul to take? I'm be like, okay, we need to talk. Yeah, there's that's contrarian behavior. That's I got to go on the opposite side of the spectrum so I can sound smart. And yeah, you know, we like, saw those movies. We watched them. We talked about them on the old show. They were shit. We know that. Yeah, I love those Craven. I don't love those movies. I do want to revisit Serpent the Rainbow soon. It's been a long time since I watched that. I, I, I really like that one. That was a good fucking movie. It'd be fun to give awards to that. Mm, uh, yeah, that was a good Good warm up there. I enjoyed that. Uh, let's dig into the production history of Scream. It's actually pretty fascinating how Scream came about. Uh, Scream was written by Kevin Williamson, who would also write Scream 2, Scream 4, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Faculty. He also created and developed the TV shows Dawson's Creek, The Following, and The Vampire Diaries. He, he's a busy bee. Huh? He's a busy bee. Yeah, prolific guy. Uh, he, I watched his recent film. It's on Peacock. A uh, little shout out to Kevin Williamson. Um, but if you guys are looking for a neat little slasher film, check out Sick on Peacock. Uh, ran by Kevin Williamson. Uh, it's a COVID set slasher. Um, where it's about these two friends. It right at the high of pandemic when you know they were doing the lock, you know, the quarantines and all that stuff. They go to the cabin to get away from people and hang out and. You know, obviously, someone is stalking them and hunting them down. Um, very cool movie, very brutal. The way they, um, the I forget who directed it, so forgive me, I can't remember the right off the top of my head. Um, but the way they filmed it, a lot of the chase scenes are one take chase scenes. Um, 
And so it's really neat. So yeah, if you're trying to get a Kevin Williamson fix outside a, a, a scream, um, recent film that came out this year, check it out. Sick on Peacock. I I watched it. Really fucking good movie. Um, cool. I'll put that on my list. I will go check out the cock. Look for sick. My short hand, Peacock. Yeah, I love saying that because it's so off putting to everybody I've said it to. <laughs> good old Peacock. But yeah, Kevin. Uh, good old Kevin Williamson. He. Prolific guy. Um, actually, quick update on those who are wondering about that whole kind of speaking. Of, I, I know what you did last summer. They, you know, announced that legacy sequel. Apparently, Freddie Prince Jr. doesn't have a script, and he's just now hearing about it. Oh uh, boy, they're pulling a Star Trek Four. Did they say like he? Oh yeah, Prince is involved, and he's like, what? Pretty much, he's like, I haven't seen shit, and they haven't t- talked to me. <laughs> My God, why do they do that? It's a great way to make sure the actors want nothing to do with the project. Yeah, I'm like, stop trying to force them to be in your movie by announcing it and then not talking to them. Like, Freddie French Jr., look, I've seen it. He seems like a nice guy. All right. All right. I've, based off interviews, he seems like a decent guy. So I'm sure, yeah, could have easily been like, hey, do you want to do this? Are you interested? We got a script. And he probably would have been like, let me read the script. Probably wouldn't have been very hard. But now, you probably pissed him off. And now he's like, I, I know. I always thought that it worked as, you know, you write a movie, you pick, you know, you, you get production capital, you talk actors, you reach out to actors, you see, hey, I'm making this. Would you be interested? They're like, well, maybe show me a script. You send the script, they read the script, they like it or they don't like it, and you move from there. But in reality, it's more like, we're going to make this and we're going to do whatever we can to get that guy involved, if, even if we have to guilt him. <laughs> and that's yeah. just, that's not, has, ever, has that ever actually worked? I don't no, think so. Because I think they underestimate how these people sometimes make money. Like, yeah, we haven't seen Freddie Prince on the big screen since like the 90s and early 2000s. But for those who don't know, the guy does a shit ton of voice work. Like, that's actually how he's been making his money. He does a lot of voice work, he does a lot of the Star Wars TV shows. Um, yeah, so, he was uh, Kanan Jarrus on Rebels, right? Yes. I think he was on, I think he did some other stuff. So he's not hurting for money. He's he's just doing voice, voice work so he can go home and be a family man with good old Sir, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller, um, who is also conveniently having her TV come back with that Wolfpack show. So it's like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, he's, he's, he's fine. He's not, it's not like he's needing, I, I know what you did last summer sequel. Don't know why he would just, try to pull that shit like oh yeah it's like what they think like oh it's free prince jr that'll be easy he's like no nah, dude i got other ways to make money it's fine i mean let's not forget you know the residual checks from his book fred on fred the many faces of me <laughs> anybody gets that i love you look i'll say it he was a good uh he was a good fred in my opinion <laughs> that movie was perfectly cast and anyone who says otherwise can go fuck themselves <laughs> look the live action scooby-doo films both of them, I stand by. Most of the first one, but I do like the sequel also. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, very true. I can tell you that Freddie Prince Jr., they won't have him for like, I don't know, I'll I'll see you next summer or whatever the fuck they end up calling it. Yeah, they've already, they've already used, I still know, and I always know, so I don't know what they're going to use next. I, I, I forgot what you did last summer. I'll never forget what you did last summer. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> you might want to trademark that. 
<laughs> if, they, if this happens and that's the title I see on the big screen, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> oh yeah, buy the website domain now. You look, you're going to see me in that theater. Also, just me going, God damn it! <laughs> like making a scene in the theater. There's no way it's getting a theatrical release. Let's be honest. Oh, it's getting one. No, no way. Oh yeah. Mark uh, my words. <laughs> back to back to Williamson. He was inspired to write Scream after watching a news story about a real life serial killer, Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. Rowling murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida, over a span of four days in August of 1990. When arrested, he confessed to raping several victims, committing an additional triple homicide in Shreveport, Louisiana, and also trying to kill his own father. The total body count was eight. He was tried and convicted in 1994 and executed by lethal injection in 2006. I love that he just immediately started confessing to a whole bunch of other shit. Like they had him on murder. And he's like, oh, and yeah, there was these rapes. I tried to kill my dad. Yeah. Go talk to cops I, in Shreveport. I traveled like, all the way to Shreveport to murder people. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, this guy was out of his fucking mind and yeah. executed in 2006. But at the time he was in prison. And Williamson saw that on the news and was like, huh, well, what if a young woman was alone in a house and taunted by a killer over the phone? That could be an interesting story. So Williamson started putting that together, called it Scary Movie. <laughs> uh, uh, I know, right? Kind of funny how that all ended up. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole thing. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit here, but that's a whole thing. It's, it's pretty funny. Williamson went to Palm Springs to hammer out his script. I love the uh, the option of like, oh, I've got to write this script. I'm going to go to Palm Springs. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, man, he was making that Dawson's Creek money at that time. Yeah, that's true. So he hammered out a script in Palm Springs. He also wrote five-page outlines for two potential sequels, uh, Scary Movie 2 and Scary Movie 3. <laughs> the script was bought by Dimension Films which was owned by up-and-coming production moguls Bob and Harvey Weinstein. You may remember them. You may remember this studio. <laughs> Dimension Films. <laughs> you might still see their logo when you watch the first four screen movies. Yeah. When you're watching a horror, you know, a genre film made in like 2005, this this might be this might be a logo on there. It's a I good certainly remember. They, they were, to their credit, they were prolific. What coming out with shit at that time? You know they seem to really hate horror, but they came out with a lot of fucking horror films in that company. It was like a you know like a hate fuck relationship. You know they hated horror, but they needed it. They got money for it. They knew it was it. success. You know they knew it was successful, so they were like, "Ugh, fine." Yeah, fine. We'll release something so we can make more money. Uh, Wes Craven was approached to direct by Bob Weinstein who knew that Craven was a master at you know, bringing horror and comedy to life together on screen in a believable way. Craven had already been interested, was trying to bid on the project himself. So, you know, everybody kind of was like, okay. But of course, you know, at the time, Craven was also like, is this all I am? Am I just a, a, a horror p- clown dancing at the foot of the producers? Is that all I am? So he had a bit of an existential, you know, screaming out in the rain, who am I? Moment. And uh, thankfully, he he figured it out. <laughs> he was. He was worried. He's like, I've only made horror films. Is this, you know, can I, I do anything else? I have. And it's, it. look, I, 
this is kind of bad, and mostly because of the monsters that the Weinsteins were. But for some reason, I just had the image of them with Russ Craven room going, dance for me, monkey, dance. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. I know. And I'm like, God, they just had to be monsters to make that joke so less funny. But God damn it. But, you know, you make very successful horror films, mostly, you know, since the 70s. And that's pretty much all you make. The only non-horror film you really made was 99's Music of the Heart. Mm. So everything before, you know, before that. It is one of those things with Wes Craven. Where, like, I get where he's coming from. Like, obviously, you want to, you know, you want to branch out. And we, it's not like he's the first horror director to have that moment. You know, we've obviously think, you know, seen it in more recent times with like Rob Zombie has always expressed interest in branching out. But like, let's be honest, his name is Rob Zombie. Um, I, look, I'm saying this as someone who absolutely loves uh, like all his music and a good chunk of his movies. So I'm just saying. You're not going to see that on an Academy Award-winning film anytime soon. Um, that'd be beautiful. That would be actually kind of amazing. Rob Zombie does like a Holocaust drama that's like super tasteful, and he wins Best Director. He goes oh up there and he's like horror cowboy getup at his conference. <laughs> just like you know, I want to thank the Academy. <laughs> that'd be the best day ever. He just he's like Dracula, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the fucking internet would blow its fucking mind at that thought um but you know obviously you know he's expressed uh another big one that broke who did break out um you know uh eli roth obviously kind of had his touch with it with some more mainstream non-horror stuff recently he's luckily going back for the thanksgiving movie that i'm beyond excited that he is finally making yeah if you haven't heard the thanksgiving trailer in grindhouse he's finally turning it into a fucking movie it's happening it's been getting cast patrick dempsey's in it for some reason it's spyglass media randomly the same company that the screen picked it up recently it's happening like i cannot wait um I but, you know, he said dempsey i don't know why he's in the movie i saw that i was like why is he in this fucking movie um yeah yeah um but you know we've seen it happen right they want to float. Eventually, they come back because they love it. All the studios, audiences do it. I do think it, it kind of sucks. You know, it's kind of like when a comedian wants to do something serious and audience is like, no, you're a comedian. Like, again, people like it's OK if they do something different. Like at the end of the day, you can still go back to for the tour directors to the horror films for a comedian to the comedies like those aren't being taken away from you. You can go back to those. It's fine. What's wrong with letting them experiment and try something out, you know? So I, I get I get the frustration Wes Craven was having. A lot of other horror directors, you know, have. You know, obviously, like if you look at James Wan, he's one of the biggest name horror directors around, but he still was taking the time to get outside and play in different sandboxes. Obviously, he did Furious Seven, um, and the recent, you know, the two Aquaman movies. So I say let them fucking have their fun sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't want to be pigeonholed either. You know, people like to experiment, see what else they're capable of, and that's not, you know, just in creative. You know, in the creative world, people do that with their careers. People do that with you know, the place they're living. If you're just, you know, if, if you just kind of stay in your lane your entire life, and don't, you don't, you know, you never leave your town. You never, you know, try new things. Like it's a boring, miserable life. And, you know, it, when you're, when you're a creative, that's, you know, staying in one genre or staying in one franchise, that's the creative equivalent of never leaving your town. So you want to branch out there. You want to see what else you're capable of. You want to create. And I will I would never stifle anybody's desire to create. I don't get why some people do that. 
Yeah, and to me, like, if you let them do it, then a lot of times when they do eventually find their, their way back to kind of, like, what they're known for, it's usually better for it. For me, James Wan stepping out of filing, kind of letting go of the Conjuring franchise, directing Rise, and doing, like, Furious 7 and the Aquaman movies. Because of that, when he came back to horror, we got Malignant, which to me was fucking great. I love Malignant a lot. So it's like, you know, let them step out. Because then when a lot of times they come back, we get a much more recharged. They're much more in the game because they're not feeling burnt out anymore. Because they had that time outside the sandbox and to do something different. And they're like, hey, now I want to go back. Now now I'm interested in going back and doing this. So I'm, I say let them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the best example of this recently is Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, she started out in horror. She became, you know, one of the notable scream queens. She did a bunch of horror movies. Then in the 80s, she started branching out into comedies, started doing stuff like Trading Places, A Fish Called Wanda. Then, you know, did a True Lies with Arnold, Freaky Friday remake. Like she she became, you know, she, she branched out. She tried other stuff. And then she came back to Halloween in a big way. And then, you know, did everything ever all at once. Now she's an Oscar winner. And, you know, sometimes people just need to to test the water, see what else they can do. And I, I, I like that. I like when people do that. Yeah. it To me, it, it makes better artists. You know what I mean? And the reason I say, like, the comedy things, you know, I know people that, you know, when I say that, I'm usually talking about Adam Sandler nowadays. So, so many people <laughs> are like, I don't want to watch Uncut Gems because he's not being funny. Okay, well, what? Do you want to keep watching these subpar, mediocre comedies he, he did? And no offense to Sandler. We've established when we did our Waterboy episode on our old phase of um, the podcast. I I do like the guy. He seems like a nice guy. And I do like a lot of his comedies. But, like, let's be honest, for a while there, just, most of his comedies were mediocre. And so, for me, like, him stepping out saying, like, let me do something serious like Spanglish or Punch Trunk Love every so often. Or, you know, recently with um uncut james is like yeah no like yeah because that was the exciting stuff for me finally that's me going like oh my god finally like he's doing something exciting and it's outside of his role house and i'm really into it and in turn like when he has gone back to comedy from what i've heard heard at least like his stuff like murder mystery and stuff it's not bad i've heard people be like oh no those are good movies so it sounds like it does help him out and when he does go back to comedy after that he tends to make better fucking comedies if you're a sadist uncut gems is pretty funny Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, people got to recharge their batteries and, you know, they tend to go back. People don't usually, you know, stay away. They always come back to their roots. They just come back with a more worldly knowledge of other genres and other things. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm excited for. Like, sorry. That's why I'm excited for like Eli Roth coming back. You know, he had his break. He, he did Death Wish. He did House of a Clock in Its Walls. You know, he is about to be, you know, in this video game revival we're having. He directed the Borderlands movie that's coming out at some point. Um, so he has all that under his belt. He got, he did his big studio stuff. And now he's like, hey, I, not like being forced to, not because he's down on his luck. He's like, I want to come back and do a fucking Eli Roth horror film. Let's go. And I'm excited. I'm like, hell yeah. Fuck yeah. You're coming back. You're giving us a horror film, like a lean, mean. Eli Roth, hopefully without some of the more problematic script stuff from your earlier works. Um, <laughs> film, like, let's go. You know, like, that. That that's when I get excited, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Wes Craven, ultimately, you know, that passed, and he did Scream, and uh, it would be the Weinstein brothers who would change the movie's title to Scream. And uh, everyone was on board for that, because they were the money, and you don't say no to the money. No, especially the Weinsteins. They made a point to get their way. 
Yeah. In a lot of ways, that it's a whole different podcast. Uh, so a bit about the cast. Whole, we got Nev. Hmm? I was gonna say a whole whole separate thing one day. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a. We might have to do a few episodes on that nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell was cast as Sydney Prescott. Campbell at the time was a lead on the TV series Party of Five. Some of her other work includes The Craft, Wild Things. She had a recurring role in House of Cards. But, you know, she'll always be Sydney Prescott. This is the role she's going to be remembered for. Uh, regrettably, they would uh, pr- produ- production would not meet her desired rate of pay for Scream 6, so she sat that one out. But uh, she's still there in spirit. They bring her up all the time. She's loving that one. She's just like, nope, I'm not coming to New York. This isn't my problem. Yeah, I love how, like, last week she's like, I got to be down there. And this was like, not my problem. Um, but, you know, look, on, 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 on the topic of that, like, because, you know, obviously, you know, when that happened, people had their say about, like, oh, she's being selfish, blah, blah, No, she was absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, in the right. I 100% like, with, I know a lot of the cast, all the crew supported her decision. Like, they were actually quite against the, uh, the you know, the higher-ups at the studios that were kind of, inter- that fumbled this hard on that one. Um, she has a point. She's She's been tied to this franchise. I know wrong. Not, nothing against, like, obviously stuff she's done outside the franchise. I know a lot of people like we're all things for at least guys for different, you know, reasons. And we don't have to talk about that. We'll keep it on the download guys. It's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, like she is the face of this franchise. Like she's, you know, people, when they think scream, they, her, she's one of the first things that pops up in people's heads, you know? So it, it makes sense that she won a certain amount of money. It absolutely makes sense. That she's like, look, I have been a part of this franchise since the beginning. I am the star of this franchise. Like, this is what I need to get paid to be, you know, compensated for this movie. And the fact that they were trying to be like, no, we're going to lowball that. It's like, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with her. And essentially, then if you don't think I'm that important a part of this franchise, I don't need to be in the movie. I'm out. Like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Don't let them have that power. Do not let them have that fucking power. No, she doesn't need this. They need her. Or maybe they don't. I mean, Scream 6 was a big hit. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> well, I get, yeah, I'm with her as well. You know, know your value, fight for your value. I, I believe mm-hmm. that in any career you have. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not, it, you know, and it was, it's kind of like, you know, obviously it's kind of funny because week before that we had Creed 3, the first one without Stallone as Rocky. Um, And, you know, on one hand, is it, am I sad to not see these like legacy Links that are tied to it in them. I mean, yes. At the same time, you know, one day, and I, I you know, I was talking, I was talking about with some guys at work about it. You know, one day these franchises will continue long after these, they're in real life, these actors have passed. And, it, you know, not to get like too grim or anything, but like it will. I mean, it always to, to me, the prime example of that is the James Bond franchise. It's obviously on well past, you know, Sean Connery's you know, death and many other Bond actors have, you know, sadly passed away. Um, and what have they done? They've just recasted. I'm not saying they're going to recast obviously and scream or these franchises, but eventually they're going to continue with a new cast well past these actors. So eventually it's going to happen. Like we might as well get used to, I know that they won't always be in a fucking screen movie or Stallone won't always be in a, you know, a Rocky universe film. Yeah. The IP, exists as its own thing at this point with these with these big multi-million dollar franchises and they're going to be alive for generations with you know actors you know maybe a reboot maybe a requel maybe a retelling maybe a adjacent you never know but 
Those, that's just how films work. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, if you want to watch the ones with these actors you love, they still exist. You can still go back and watch all the Rocky films with Stone. You can still go back and watch Power Screens with Nev Campbell. They exist. You can go back. I literally watched the original for this podcast. And guess who was in it? Nev Campbell, because it's not like you can change a movie that's already at. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how many times is George Lucas going to come up in this, in this episode? Well, and then I said Rocky. I was like, oh, shit, the fucking Trago cut. Rocky Four. It's literally just no more Polly's robot. That's the whole. I heard, that's I heard it. Those, well, I heard those R scenes he actually adds into it. Oh, I um, heard it was just like I cut the robot. You're welcome. No, there's there's like there's other scenes he adds into it. Oh, I'll have um, to check that out then. Yeah, but okay. So either way, the you know the original films still exist. You can still go back and enjoy them, right? So yeah. Well, moving on, we got Courtney Cox. As heartless, bitchy reporter Gail Weathers, who in every single movie has a confrontation with somebody over a book she wrote about them. She every time, all six movies. She is consistent. All right, I give her credit. I did. I did like how when they tried to, uh, they tried to punch her in the new one. She dodged like used to it, and then that fucking second one just got her. I was like, hell yeah! Didn't see that <laughs> one coming, Gail. <laughs> uh. She actually approached the production herself because she was interested in playing a character with an edge. So at the time, uh, she played Monica on the insanely popular sitcom Friends, who was this peppy, quirky, funny lady. And she was like, I want to play a bitch. So she went She's to them and was like, can it. I play Gail? <laughs> She's really good at it. I've heard I've heard she's not like Gail at all, luckily, in real life. But she's she's good as Gail. Yeah, I do think it's funny every time there's always a character, it's usually Dewey, who's like, you, how could you do that to me? Like, you you changed. And it's like, no, she didn't. She never changed. You just keep putting insanely high expectations of goodness on this lady that she's never going to live up to. Look, I look, I love Dewey to death. He is, I'm with the fans. He's a great character, but my God, he, he could have found someone better. Yeah, and in these new movies, now it's, you know, Sam and her sister being like, how could you betray us like that? It's like, is anybody going to get on board with what this chick's about? <laughs> She's a journalist, a tabloid journalist who writes true crime novels in which she makes a fuck ton of speculation. It's what she does. I'm not even going to say a fuck ton of money because her condo in that movie was nice. I was like, in, you are making Manhattan? money. That's a million yeah. dollar plus luxury oh. condo. <laughs> upper, upper West Side, as they pointed out, like she was living nice. So I was yeah, like, she's I, making a shit ton of money. Yeah, I kept yelling at Ghostface, like, oh, you're that's so much money. That table was expensive. Like, no, stop it. <laughs> the boyfriend was expensive. Why did you do that? Oh, that dude that she didn't even like, what did he say? Like, your boyfriend didn't put up a fight. And he, she's like, yeah, I guess not. Like, wow, true love, huh? <laughs> it wasn't like, look. She's still a lady with needs, even though she's getting older. She's still a lady with needs, and that's all that guy was. What a was young his name, muscle Gail? man. What was his name? She doesn't remember. He was a young muscle man that fulfilled her needs, and that was it. Yeah. I bet he's in her phone under like Beefcake Tuesday, and there's Beefcake Thursday. <laughs> she doesn't have Dewey anymore. She needs something. Uh, Skeet Ulrich was cast as Billy Loomis, Sydney's boyfriend. He had already worked with Campbell before in The Craft, and he was cast because he gave off a young Johnny Depp vibe, which, yeah, I could see that. 
his career as a leading man never really took off that much, but he did return in cameo appearances as Billy Loomis in Five Cream and Scream Six. Yeah, and he, I think he had a pretty good TV career. Like, I think he, I think he played like a, a dad to one of the characters on that fucking Riverdale show on CW that's been like ongoing. I think it, I think it's just now come to its conclusion. Yeah, he, but, he was. Yeah, he was on that. So, I mean, he had a pretty like he had a thriving TV career. Um, I think what hurt him young is that he just looked so much like a young Johnny Depp. But from what I've from what I've gathered is that admittedly Skeet Ulrich is better to work with on set than Johnny Depp is in his you know later career life. Um, so time and also it seems like time's been much kinder to Skeet Ulrich than it has Johnny Depp. I look, I'm just saying, like when I saw, him, I was like, "There's no way that guy's in his 50s. There's no fucking way." Well, I. In screen in the in five cream and scream six, they are probably doing some de aging. No, I've no. You, have you seen him without the de age? He still looks incredibly young for like fifty something. Oh, it's it's uncanny. Good for Skeet. Yeah, he got a stupid ass name, but I like him. I wonder, how, I wonder how he got that name. I don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, David Arquette plays Officer Dewey Riley, everyone's favorite. Human-sized gummy bear. Yeah, because he's awesome. Dewey's the best. Arquette was approached for the role of Billy. He asked to read for Dewey instead. Can you imagine really? Arquette as as Billy? What? No, I can't. I can't see that. They wanted. They were like, you should play the hard-ass killer. And he's like, I want to play the goofy cop. Oh. <laughs> Craven liked Arquette's softer, funnier approach to the role and cast him. I guess the Dewey originally was not this kind of clueless, you know, almost teenager idiot, but Arquette played him as this kind of, you know, huggable cop. And they were like, you know what? It's nice to have a little beam of light in this dark movie. Yeah. I mean, it worked out because over the years, Dewey really became like, to me, the heart of the franchise. Um so it worked out in that, like, you know, it, and they even say it in Scream 6, and it, it's true. They point out Dewey, when Ghostface, like, Dewey was a fan favorite character. I'm like, he is. Fans love Dewey. Like, he is absolutely the heart of the franchise. So it, it worked out in their favor, and it's all because of David Arquette. Like, I'm, I remember watching uh, Scream 2022, and when, you know, he comes back after they talk to him, and the moment, like, they get to the house, and you hear them mute his theme song plan and he walks in I, I remember sitting there going that's right the sheriff's back in town boys like I was excited I was like yeah Dewey's back yes uh, in case you guys didn't know this um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox were married for quite a while uh, she was Courtney Cox Arquette for a bit they got divorced they're, in 2013 yeah their, their relationship in the movie closely mirrors that of their real life they met on screen they were, I think, married by the time Scream 2 or 3 rolled around. Um, I think we're having issues by the time Scream 4 rolled around. Divorce shortly after. And then, you know, obviously, Scream 2022 acted appropriately. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know what happened with them, but it is weird that their relationship was, like, similar to doing yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised because it seemed like they were really into each other. So I was like, I wonder what happened, but Hey, you know, life is complicated. So unfortunately, the romance was not meant to be. 
And Arquette has appeared in a bunch of stuff, but Scream's going to be what he's known for as well. And uh, I'm, I've gotten a lot of flack for this when I've said this to to Scream fans, but I'm I'm glad he's dead. God, you son of a bitch. Dewey tempted fate way too fucking long. You don't survive that many goddamn stab wounds. Okay, your point. So I'm glad he didn't survive the ones in Five Cream. Finally. He could have just not been. He could have just not been stabbed in the new Scream. And no, he, I needed to, he needed to go. It's time no, to you're, go. no, you're a monster. You are a monster. How dare you? He had like nerve damage in Scream I hope Ghost Face is in your in Scream Three. I hope your Ghost Face. I hope Ghost Face is in your house right now. Okay, that's what I hope. How dare you? No, Dewey was. No, I no no. I I wanted him to you're, go. You're a sick bastard. How dare you? This is what I yeah. This is how I. Oh. I've had this conversation with other people. How dare you? You you piece of shit. <laughs> God. It I was, was like, look, with what God, what the fuck? God, I'm about to just cut this off right now. We're about to just end this podcast right here. Keep it up. All right. Keep it the fuck up. <laughs> with that said, I did like how they took him out in in that screen movie. I, I thought he went out as Dewey should have gone out, and that is a goddamn hero. All right. God damn hero. You got distracted by Gil. Why did you call him? Why? Still hurts. Um also like I, I do agree with the fans that like look, spoilers for screen 2022 if you haven't fucking seen it yet. It's been a year. Um but I th- that was I think supposed to be Amber that did that one. Um there is no way in hell as cool as that like that fucking brutal that death was. There was no way how she picked that man up. Yeah, I was, yeah, like, I was supposed to think about that in Scream, like the logistics of who's behind the costume and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, there's, there's no way in hell, especially because like Arquette, one of them. For those who don't, he's a very eccentric man to say the least in real life. Um, but he apparently wrestles. And by the time he was doing Scream, he was in really, or the 2022 one, he was in really good shape because he's wrestling. So I'm like, there's no way in hell you picked up a Dewey that's in very good shape, apparently. And you're <laughs> the Amber character. Not, no offense to the actress. I'm not saying she's not strong, but I, I don't know. Oh, she's tiny. She was very tiny. Uh, Matthew Lillard was cast as Stu, the sort of clown of the group. He is known mostly for playing Shaggy in the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. Also had a minor but significant role in the Twin Peaks revival. And And he also voices Shaggy in several of the cartoons now. Yep, he is Shaggy. And, uh, yeah, he's hilarious and awesome and weird. And uh, I like that he's gotten kind of, you know, fans have kind of rallied behind him for several different things he does and have just given him a lot of support. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently he's a super uh, good dude, and I know when he does the conventions, I mean, obviously he'll do the convention circuit on his own, but a lot of times when he does the convention circuit, he'll do it with Skeet Ulrich, and they'll ah. have, like, tables next to each other, so you can get, you know, see Billy and Stu at the conventions. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, no, he he's awesome in this movie. Um, to all the fans out there, He's fucking dead. Let's just let the fucking proposed scream three ideal go. It's not happening. Let it go. He's dead. He is that fucking, fucking dead. script hadn't leaked online. We would have gotten a really cool scream three. 
We would have, but it did, and guess what? We didn't. We also would have had a different scream too, but that leaked online, so Yeah. Damn. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's dead. But you know, he's dead. He's, he's not going to be the mastermind killer any time yeah. soon, aka at all, for Christ's sakes, people. And if you have met Stu in Scream, he's a fucking idiot. He's a he's a follower. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole point. I think that's what people forget. Like yeah, Billy think, Loomis was the mastermind of this whole thing. Stu's yeah. just there for the likes. I think that's what people forget big time. Like, I think actually that's probably why Scream 3 and its original incarnation would not have worked. Because people forget that Stu was a fucking follower that only wanted it because that Billy was his best friend. That was it. Like, Peer pressure. He's way too sensitive. Yeah, yeah I was like, he <laughs> I was like, there's no way no he'd lead no. Fuck no. Like, it's not not in his character to do this. So, no, I don't think that would have been a good idea to begin with. Plus, we see him clearly get electrocuted. Yes. And also, like, guys, let's be honest. They kind of kept the idea of someone orchestrating the whole thing anyway in Screen 3. And it kind of sucked. Like, it's one of the reasons I don't like Screen 3. I was just the idea of someone orchestrating the whole thing since the fucking first film. Like, it's not that good. Like, I don't need no. That concept always sounds good on paper, but it's never executed all that well. Like when, yeah. like Spectre, you know, Blofeld being behind the previous three Bond films sounds neat, but when you start thinking about it, it doesn't make a damn lick of sense. And that's the problem is when you start, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> no, yeah. that none of this adds up because your whole because basically, like in at least the screen universe, he was basically hoping this would even get famous enough for him to be a damn director on the Stab series. Like, what if that fucking didn't go the way he wanted, buddy? Like, then your whole plan shot right there. Like, uh, comedian Jamie Kennedy was cast as Randy, the horror movie geek. Randy's rules of survival are pop culture famous now. Kennedy has also appeared in such films as Malibu's Most Wanted, Enemy of the State, Three Kings, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and Son of the Mask which effectively tanked his career. I've always found him to be an annoying douchebag, but I like him in Scream. I like him in Scream. Son of Mass did tank his career, and him being an annoying douchebag also tanked his career. Because the God. guy, does, Yeah, the guy doesn't know how to be funny. He thinks that by being oddly insulting to anyone and everyone without any actual punchline to said, and these are air quotes, jokes, is funny and there's a reason we don't see him anymore. And I'm happy about it because I don't ever, other than Scream, I just I've never actually liked Jamie Kennedy anyway. So like him in Scream and like him in Scream 2 and his little thing in Scream 3. But outside of that, I okay. The late 90s to early 2000s shock comedians like you know Jamie Kennedy, Tom Green, Dane Cook. I'm so glad they're gone. Yeah, none of them lasted. You know who did last out of that though? The Jackass guys. Yeah. I need to point that out. <laughs> Because they are legitimately funny and talented stunt guys and are actually seem like pretty decent dudes and, dare I say it, role models. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. I wouldn't be a, I would not have Bambi a role model currently, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let that man be a role model. But there are guys, sure. Uh, there was this uh, this commercial at the Oscars for a um during the commercials. There was a a new show 
that Johnny Knoxville and Eric Andre are doing called like, what was it? The prank something. I don't remember, but they did the commercial, like the Ghostbusters commercial in the, in the movie, you know, are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? They did it like that. And it was so awkward. It was great. But look that up. It's like Johnny Knoxville and Eric Andre have a new show. I got to watch that. Cause I usually like Eric Andre's like, I know he he's very inspired by those guys, so I usually like his shit. So I'll, I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> um, Rose McGowan was cast as Tatum, Sydney's best friend. She would go on to appear in the TV series Charmed after uh, Sh- Shannon Doherty was kicked off for being a bitch. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, she also became Robert Rodriguez's leading lady for a while after he left his wife for her. Yep. Uh, she started no Planet together. Terror. Yeah. She started Planet Terror, was going to star in that Red Sonia remake that never happened. And uh, yeah, she kind of became one of the outspoken voices against misogyny in Hollywood. But everyone on the right side of this was like, please stop talking. Yeah, it was a weird thing. Like, I'm not saying, look, real quick, not saying she didn't have like legitimate like things to say. But it was kind of funny that people were like, okay, you can shut up now. I think because, like, then, like, as she was saying shit, I think allegations against her started popping up. So they're like, wait a minute. You can't sit there and say this and then have allegations pop up and also, you know, be the reason the dude left his fucking wife and, like, five children. Rodriguez has a shit ton of children. Yes, he does. Yeah, that's how I hate these fucking homewreckers who show up, seduce the director, take, you know, I know that I'm not saying he's not at fault. He's a fucking moron for doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Johnny Depp, same shit for leaving his, you know, partner with for Amber Heard. Yeah, absolutely. Idiots on their ends as well. Not they're not excused. But the women knew what they were doing. They were trying to fuck married men. So everyone's an asshole in this in this equation. Yeah. Except for for the original partner. I feel bad for them. Yes. So now with that said, it, I'm sure, you know, the stuff she said about Heinz, uh, Heinstein, Weinstein <laughs> is probably very valid because um, as we learned that human being was a fucking monster. Yeah. Warvey Heinstein was a monster. Yeah. But, you know, pot Carlin Keller back when apparently she was also bad. And it's why we don't see her anymore. Uh, finally, we've got Drew Barrymore and her brief role as Casey. The second victim, if you count Maureen Prescott, uh, and that the and the boyfriend, so third victim, I guess. Yeah, uh, at this point in the movie, technically, yes, yes. Barrymore is the biggest star attached to this film, which is why everyone freaked the fuck out when she was killed in the first ten minutes. One of the biggest shocks in horror history. Uh, she approached the production herself, originally signed on to play Sydney, but unexpected commitments arose, so she had to like she wanted to be involved, but she couldn't commit to the whole movie, so she. They settled on a sort of pseudo cameo role in the beginning. It was it was her ideal when that I think when it popped up, it was like her to be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Because people are going to assume I'm in the movie for the whole yeah. thing. She's on the poster. Like it set the tone for a unpredictable film. It's like, holy shit, they just killed Drew Barrymore and the movie just started. What do we do now? <laughs> Everyone felt unsafe. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh shit, what are we going to do? Yeah. And her name's like one of the most prominently, like, it's just not like they just hide her name. Like, it's on there to trick you. Like, hey, look, Drew Barrymore, we got her. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think she's like the biggest face on the poster. I believe so. I know she's like up front in the cast. Yeah. Let me, I'm looking up the poster right now. I think she yeah. might be literally the face actually in the background. She, 
she might be, but she's like right up at the front, biggest head on the on the poster, apart from the big head in the background. It's very prominent. It looks like she's the main character of the movie. Yeah, that's that's fucking mean. <laughs> to, is, to fuck that, with audiences like that. I'm 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 impressed. Look, unlike a certain, unlike DC's marketing for their upcoming film, that's what you call smart smart marketing, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, Scream has an IMDb score of 7.2, Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%. Was a massive hit, grossing about 173 million on a budget of 14 million dollars. Pretty good. It spawned five sequels to date in a TV series that nobody talks about anymore because apparently it was dog shit. Yeah, I watched uh, the first couple episodes and quit. It was bad. Fuck that show. Wasn't it? It was on MTV, right? It, the first two seasons were on MTV and they had some kind of issues in, with like the studios and production with the third season. And eventually it came out on VH1. As like Scream Resurrection lasted one season and got canceled. <laughs> That's what happens. By the way, uh, quick correction: that seventy nine percent has shot up to eighty percent. Is now yeah, it's an eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is pretty nice. Cool. The numbers don't I, usually change, but here we are. Okay, and I did read somewhere that some of the biggest issues with the the TV show was again the wine scenes being the Weinstein's. I'm Apparently, so glad they're gone. Yeah. Apparently they stepped in during production a lot. So apparently a lot of what was was not originally meant to be done, and you know, just them being them. Um, and actually what's interesting is that Scream was written off as a flop when it came out originally. It didn't do good its first weekend. It made no money its first weekend. Word of mouth, because this was back when films had more than a fucking initial weekend to make money, unlike nowadays, where you better make that show on your opening weekend. Um Looking at you, Ant Man, you're you're making Marvel sad right now. Um, but uh, it, it actually didn't make any money like its initial weekend. Like it it fucking bombed opening weekend. Um, but word of mouth from people who saw it started to grow, and all of a sudden they saw this effect that they have very you very rarely see in movies where each weekend after that it was making more money, and then more money, and then more. It, it started to climb every single weekend, which actually ended up extending its run in theaters. Those were the days back when, you know, a little film had, had an opportunity like that. Now, if you know, if you don't go a billion dollars in three days, you're a failure and we move on to the next thing. Yeah. The closest we've gotten to that, like, yeah, the closest we've literally gotten to that happening in more recent times was the terrifier two last year, um, making more and more each weekend and beating black Adam, which in case anyone's wondering, Rain Johnson still can't shut the fuck up about it. I just saw that apparently he said something else about the thing and how he feels left behind with the DCU moving forward without him. I feel like we should all send him get well soon cards with Art the Clown on them. Right. Why does he... he I so black, Adam. <laughs> he doesn't need black, Adam. I don't understand why he's not letting it go. He's the goddamn rock. <laughs> doesn't need it it's hilarious now i just it's he, he, something broke and there's a crack in the rock yeah dude i saw i haven't read i need to read the article but the headline was basically him just like whining about being left behind in the you know announced dc useless. i'm like oh my god let it the fuck go 
we can all smell what the rock is cooking and we don't like it no one likes it <laughs> except him uh Curtis consensus on Scream reads horror icon Wes Craven's subversive deconstruction of the genre is sly, witty, and surprisingly effective as a slasher film itself, even if it's a little too cheeky for some. So, oh, oh, okay, of course. Yeah. I like how they just some people might not like this. And you know, I love surprisingly effective, like it was a fucking accident. Right. And I also like how they say how they say, like, even if it's too cheeky, as if like, yeah, that's the point, trackass. Like, it's meant to be cheeky. It's God damn it. What is this? Some kind of amusing film look, for man, anybody to enjoy? Fuck you. Look, we live in a world where we still have this belief that the 90s like killed horror, like that horror died in the 90s. I'm like, no, it fucking didn't. People just won't there's plenty of horror coming out. I there's so many great 90s horror films, so yeah, first off, get rid of that fucking myth, people. 90s horror, horror did not die in the 90s. There's so much great untapped shit you just haven't seen. And yeah, like a horror, a horror film can be cheeky. It's okay. It's okay. Paraphrase, to paraphrase Men in Black, horror is not dead. It just went home. I don't get why, why is this like need every few years to like horror keeps having to, you know, justify its existence to people every few years it's the only genre where critics have to be like why is it still here prove prove to me why you're still here it's so weird like last year i was seeing it last year they're like horrors big at the box office again all fucking year because i was probably as people said 2022 was a really good year for horror um but i was seeing i'm like it never went did we forget that like most of 2021's box office was saved by the horror films coming out that were big fucking hits and not the non-horror stuff that people were like, I'm not watching that. Yeah, it, it is weird. It's I I've always enjoyed it. Clearly, audiences have always enjoyed it. It's these critics who keep like suffering severe memory loss and forgetting that you know other people watch Dude, these movies. I can't imagine what they're gonna say when Evil Dead Rise comes out next month. A film that, by the way. For those who are wondering, it was supposed to be an HBO Max only release, but tested positive through the roof so well on test screenings. They were like, theatrical. This shit's going to do good. I'm sure they'll say I'm sure whenever we finally get Final Destination 6, I know they've announced that as well. It's getting worked on. Oh, I'm sure they'll say the same thing then. If it's a big hit, like it's, it's, it's every fucking time they say something like this when a big hit horror film comes out. It's always a shock. They're always like, can you believe it? Horror is making money. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I can believe it. It no, happened last no. year. It happened the year before that. It's happened the last hundred fucking years. Yeah. Not only can I not believe it, it's really less surprising when you attach it to a fucking franchise installment. Yeah. The sixth film in Scream's case, the fourth in, in Evil Dead's case. No, fifth, I guess, with the remake. Fifth. Yeah. So fifth. And they're going to be like, oh, my God, Evil Dead is a successful franchise. Like, yeah, we know that. (laughs) It's why it's still getting theatrical releases. God damn it. No, you don't hear that with like Star Wars or, you know, Fast and Furious or Marvel. They're always like, yet another success. With horror, they're like, can you believe it? Holy shit. What a upset. (laughs) Yeah. If anything, can we apply that to Fast and Furious more often? Can we question how we're still going? <laughs> I, I, 
but horror's a surprise every time. Not the one about the fucking racing family that's just a fucking family that's of international spies now. No, horror's still the fucking upset people. Yeah, it's... I can't... It's got a racist vibe, but I know it's not about race. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's... Someone's, get, someone's getting, like, you know, persecuted here. I don't know who it is, but it feels... Like, there's an ism here that I can't quite place. It's so weird, dude. It's so, it's so fucking weird. I, I, I seriously, like, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Cause, okay. March, we still have that, that DC film that might be good. Who knows what fucking DC? Uh, we got John Wick 4. Oh my God. We got, I'll say it. Dungeons and Dragons. Fuck off, ladies and gentlemen. That shit looks good. Okay. So we fuck don't off, have, ladies and gentlemen. I love how rude and polite that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dragons looks good okay come at me well when, but, uh, when john wick 4 comes out and is inevitably going to be a big success nobody's going to be like can you believe it john wick 4 was a, was a hit even yeah. though the first three were hits and everyone was looking forward to this yeah but I'm, that's what i'm saying like so we have several phones that no one's gonna be surprised or hits especially john wick 4 but when evil dead rise comes out in april they're gonna be like can you believe can you believe this shit? Evil Dead Rise? It's a huge hit. Would you look at that? I'm mean, like, yeah, n- no shit. There's been like five of these films all released in theaters. Like, no, okay. Evil Dead is a very successful IP with video games, comic books, a TV show, cultural si- significance. Put Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell on the map. But everyone's going to be shocked. And you know what's funny? Even when they make like like with Chucky, you know, Charles we made the transition to TV. You still saw it at first with some critics. Can you believe Chucky is good and holy shit, it's shining on TV? Like, no, I color me shocked that when you have the original creator still attached, that he was able to successfully make the transition to TV. Color me fucking shocked, critics. Oh, oh my god. You know what I think we should do? I think we should start reacting that way to standard like franchise tent poles like when guardians of the galaxy 3 comes out i think we should do an episode where we're like holy shit what a complete upset shock can you believe it's a huge hit <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> it's only coming off the heels of two billion dollar successful successes <laughs> like yeah whoa <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah right like you know what's funny? You can't do that with DC. Like, we can't do that with Shazam. It's like we'll be legitimately shocked if Shazam 2 actually does make a profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be like, oh, okay. People did want to see it. But yeah, hey, Guardians Galaxy 3, I'll be like, oh yeah, no shit. It's it's fucking too hugely. It's the last one in this fucking trilogy. It's too hugely. Yeah, okay. Color me shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I just want some consistency. I mean, you know, a successful franchise is a successful franchise, regardless of genre. So why why are we doing this with with horror genres, like horror franchises and not the other ones? Yeah. Either everything's a hit equally or shut the fuck up. <laughs> they won't. When Saul fucking X, as I'm, I know it's Saul 10, but I never like calling the 10th films 10 if they use the X. To use the Roman numeral, I always call it X. So Fast and Furious X is Fast and Furious X. Don't give a shit. Um, After Josh well, we, called it socks, that's all I can see it as. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. When Saw X comes out, 
if this one actually latches, because admittedly, the last two attempts to revitalize haven't been like the biggest box office successes. But watch critics do the same goddamn thing. Viral, admittedly, I blame COVID for that. I think this one, yeah, this one will be a hit. It's gonna, it's hollow. It's coming out in October, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's Halloween. Must be soft. So, it's gonna be a hit, and they're gonna be like a horror movie in October, the tenth of a franchise. Oh my god, Vegas odds, no way. <laughs> I hope critics. Are, I hope. I hope critics are not betting people because they would lose all the time when it came to horror. Never bet on red. That's their motto. <laughs> They've lost so much money. <laughs> they don't understand it either. They're like, I don't know how I keep losing. <laughs> yeah, as they're doubling down on the next movie, they're like, I just don't get it. I don't know why I keep losing all this money. I thought, oh, yeah, red. Yeah, of course, always. <laughs> Stay away from that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's just, it's a trend we noticed and it bothered us and there it is. <laughs> that was yeah, fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It, oh, God. Critics just stop acting surprised. Oh, my God. Uh, the first five Scream films are all currently streaming on Paramount+. Plus. If you all haven't seen them and you want to watch them, Scream 6 is in theaters as we speak and doing great. It's, it's a huge shock, but it's doing great. <laughs> oh, yeah, that whole rant. <laughs> It's actually beating expectations too. I know he just had this rant, but it's actually exceeded expectations and it's the franchise best opening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh, that was fun. Oh, oh, okay, with that, let's give some awards to Scream, the original Scream. Are we going to do that other thing we talked about before or after the awards? We're going to do that after. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna close with that. Ah, gotcha. Ha. You guys thought I was gonna ruin it. I'm not. <laughs> what you mean the no, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers <Well>. here. <laughs> we have uh four awards, the same awards we had from Oscar Sunday, though we have changed the name of some of these because now I'm in charge. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I ran Jeez. the bus. We, we worked this out together. Right. We worked this out together. I promise. I'm about to text Austin. Uh, Austin, you might want to <laughs> Put some control over here. Uh, we have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best line of the movie. Okay, we're keeping we the, that one. We have the okay. Thomas Newman Award for the best music moment. Whoa. Yeah. Love me more. I love Morricone, but there's something about Thomas Newman that just speaks to my soul. I wanted to represent him. Right, uh, got it. Go on. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance. Okay, kept, kept that, that. One. He's the ultimate character actor. Wouldn't feel right to have anybody else be there. And we have the John Carpenter Award for the best scene of the movie. Did you do me. that just to make me happy? No. <laughs> I also wanted to make Josh happy. <laughs> we don't we don't need to make Josh happy. No, I truly yeah, John Carpenter is an amazing underrated director who I feel never got his proper due by Hollywood. So I wanted to give him the best due I could. Nice. I like that. On on the heels of him. Twitter congratulating Jamie Lee Curtis. For those who didn't see that, he did congratulate Jamie Lee Curtis, which was very sweet. Yeah, that was nice. I love, you know, Jamie Lee's win, thanking the horror fans at the Oscars. That was nice. Yes. Like yes. when the when the lepers weren't allowed to go to the King's bank banquet. 
That's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> They're like, you know, I want to thank the peasants, but don't come near the table. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so glad we don't have an audience. And Oh, God, if we can't have like that Kate Blanchett fucking question on Graham Norton moment with the metal community. No one's coming at us on that one for comparing horror fans to... <laughs> No, I'm saying the Oscars. That's what it feels like with the Oscars. Like, I don't think that they think that. This is true. They do think that. We just say whatever we want because we're part of the group. This is true. (laughs) Um, So why don't you start us out with your Tarantino Award, your best line. What's the best line from Scream? This is very tough because there's a lot of great lines. I did think about putting the uh, all the rules. That's a really long line. You know, that is a great. I do think the first one's still the best when it comes to laying out the rules, you know. Uh, obviously, I like hearing the ones I had in the sequels, but first one. But the one I picked is the scene in the video store, and I picked it because it is like to me one of the best Randy moments ever. It was in the video store when he's talking to Stu, and uh, at one point, as he's t- stocking stuff up, he kind of breaks a little bit, and he goes on this little rant here where he's like, "The police are always off. Oh, sorry, the police are always off track with this shit. If they watch prom night, they save time." There's a formula to it, a very simple formula. Everyone's a suspect. And it's. I, admittedly, I can't believe I'm saying this. Jimmy Kennedy does deliver that line better, but he's actually acting for once. Um, But yeah, I've always really liked that line because it, it does, it, you know, it speaks, you know, yes, this is a slasher film, but it's a slasher film in a whodunit mystery. And to me, it's just like the perfect moment of like the inner like horror fanboy in you having like guys like come on like they're following a horror film no one's safe everyone's a suspect here like we can't trust anybody because we don't know who the fuck it is like it it's a really great randy moment uh, and I've, it's all, i've always liked that line it's made even better by the fact that you know upon rewatches he's saying that to the killer <laughs> he's yes. saying that to Stu. Yeah, to Stu, and I love like Stu's reactions when he yells, "Everyone's a suspect." They have that shot of like everyone kind of looking around, and and Stu, Stu just doing like that little like, <laughs> just you know, Matthew Lillard, what, what he can do with his body and facial expressions is some of the best shit ever. And like the things he does is like seem like his friend's cuckoo. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good line. Uh, my favorite. I just want to say my favorite line in the entire franchise is in Scream 2, and it's a Randy moment. It's when Randy is called by Ghostface in the courtyard, like at the quad, and Ghostface says something like, you know, you're kind of a nerd or something like that, and Randy just goes, fuck you! Like, super <laughs> loudly and aggressively, like, unprompted, like, whoa! <laughs> Ghostface was a good button. one. <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. Randy had some good lines in the sequel, too, honestly. So, yeah, well, maybe, you know, one day we can give awards to Scream 2. Um, so before I get my, my, my one line, I do have an honorary award just because I love this line so much. It's when, uh, towards the end of the movie, when, uh, Billy and Stu have been stabbing each other and Stu's bleeding out and Billy goes to go find Sydney and he like throws the phone at Stu and Stu just goes, you hit me with the phone, dick. I want to say a good chunk of that shit was like improv by Matthew Lillard, if I read correctly. I believe it. It's not the line I picked though, because I I, I know. Sorry, real quick. I know the line when like he says, "My my uh, parents are gonna be so mad at me," 
that was indeed improv. That was not scripted. He just fucking said that randomly, and they were like, he "Okay." Played, okay. He, he did such job, such a great job, just playing a complete fucking nut who oh, yeah. was just on board with anything. You didn't really know what his motives were. He was just crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I had seen the Scooby Doo live action film first because obviously, like, I could watch that before I watched Scream, and um. <laughs> And I remember when I watched this, I was like, hey, it's Shaggy. And my God, I told him, like, Shaggy's a fucking psycho in this movie. <laughs> Jesus. When we get when we get to what's in the box, I have I have some some Scooby-Doo references to throw out. That's really funny. Um, so the line I went with, uh, same scene actually, uh, when Sydney reacts to their plan and says, You sick fucks, you've seen one too many movies. And Billy blurts out. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. I've always loved that. <laughs> yeah, as he's like stabbing fucking Stu too much. <laughs> Such a great line. Keith Ulrich's credit, he delivers these lines great at the end. When he like reveals himself, he is fucking so much fun to watch. And we see, you know, every ghost face in the, pre- in the next five films, they're built off of Billy Loomis's legacy. So in a way, you know, movies make psychos more creative. Each ghost face gets more more creative because of the movie beforehand. So it's like a, yeah, it's a building. I block. would argue, I would argue, Matthew Lillard and Tito Ory's performance also sets the tone for all the actors. Are because to me, I've always noticed rewatching these films, the actors like I mean, like look, I don't mean this in a bad way, you know, but I do think a lot of times the actors get real campy with the reveals. But I say it in the best possible ways. I love how top they'll get. But to me, it's always because they're trying to obviously match Billy and Stu, who to me, to this day, are like the perfect fucking, it's just the most perfect reveal, perfect performances from those two guys. Like they fucking crushed it. Well, and also when you are, you know, when the, the ghost face killer is revealed in each movie, you got to remember, this is a person who is perfectly okay with murdering countless people in creative weirdo ways and also stalking them with phone with phone calls. So it's not going to be a, very solemn, you know, I am the killer. You'll never catch me. It's going to be a look what I'm capable of kind of wacky shit because that's the kind of person we're dealing with here. Yeah. And the one time they did kind of try to do that, I think with like Scream 3, where Roman uh, Bridger was a little bit more calm. It was like, oh, this doesn't really work as well. I need him to be a bit more over the top. Yeah. This is, you know, if you're going to kill people based off horror movie logic, you know, own that shit. Yeah. I so actually one of my favorites to this day with that is actually screen forward Emma Roberts fucking does all that after she does her master plan does all the shit to make herself look like what happened one of the best fucking moments of just showing an unhinged person doing what they need to to look like they are the victim <laughs> yes indeed uh, alright the Thomas Newman award best music moment what is the best music moment in this movie for you look there's two great uh, music in in this entire series there is dewey's theme song which is always just always fills my heart with troy when i hear it it's it's just there's something about it that's so sweet and really speaks to the amazingness of the character and fuck you still you piece of shit and the other one you, you keep that secret to yourself i swear and the other one is um obviously what's kind of become like the unofficial theme song to the to the franchise red right hand by nick cave um and so with that said, my best music moment was the first usage of this song when the town has having to get ready for lock uh, curfew. And just the juxtaposition of the song, the lyrics in those songs, 
and then seeing how the town's having like it's legitimately scared. Like it's the first time. Think about it, you know, it, you know, we both grew up in a small town. You know, things like that are very serious in small towns because people have this idea that things do not, like that don't happen in small towns. That's a city problem. That's not a small town problem. So. I guess to me, like it really resonated in that regard, having that music play with those lyrics and the people reacting the way they are. Cause it's like, no, that is how someone in a small town would be. You'd be terrified. Cause it's really like that doesn't happen. It's a, it's a town that everybody knows everybody. If you fucking look, if you're a teenager, you lose your fraternity on a Friday, everyone's going to fucking know on goddamn Monday. Like that, that's just how that shit works. All right. Like, so like it, yeah, this for my best music, when you first hear this song, in juxtaposition of what's happening in the town. So it's kind of funny. By movie logic, that shit happens in small towns way more than it happens in the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I picked the same thing. Yeah, Red Right Hand is... It's it's the Scream theme song. It is. Mm-hmm. It's in all six movies, always in a great moment. And in the first movie, it, it sets the tone for you know the first Woodsboro massacre, where everyone's just like, who did this and how do I... Like, what do I do to stay, to stay safe? And everyone's just kind of looking at each other a little differently. And yeah. that song was all throughout the 90s. That, that shit was in Dumb and Dumber. That shit was in Hellboy. Ooh. That song, it's the theme song for Peaky Blinders. Like, it's everywhere. I mean, it's a good song itself. Like, it, it works. Yeah. Um, I would say, honestly, and th- I'll say this, my best usage of both that song and Dewey's theme was actually in the Scream 2022. Um, when they had the you know, the song playing on the car right when uh, Kyle Gallner, who was severely underutilized in that movie, but hey, he had smiles, so good for him. Um, uh, you know, gets his, you know, his um, his death and it, it plays and, and the car was a great, was my favorite usage of it. And then at the same time, Dewey's theme also in that film when, again, I know we talked about it earlier, but when you know it's, he, they convince him to go one more time and you, he's going to the meeting and the song plays and you're like, yes. Sheriff's in town. We got this. We can take this. And then you know it. It you know we get his tragic death. You fucking bastard. Nobody can survive that many stabs. Don't 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 no. no. Don't try to justify your monsterness. You're probably gonna be a fucking ghost face killer. No, no, no. I don't trust you. You know what? I don't trust you anymore. You're now number one on my suspect list. Oh well. If I was, you would absolutely be within the first three victims. I would kill you first. Preemptively. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it kill me if I just take out all the suspects. No one will notice if there's no one to notice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh the PSH, the best performance award. Who takes this? Who wins the movie? This one was hard for me. Um, I actually had a toss up between two. Uh, I reveal my two, and I'll, I'll decide. So I wrote down Roger Jackson, aka Ghostface himself, and Matthew Lillard. Nothing, like I said, Skeet Ulrich does great thing, but I think most of his greatness is at the end of the film. Um, between those two, I'm going to go Matthew Lillard. Because while I love Jackson as Ghostface, I actually think he's gotten gotten better with each film because they've allowed him to have a lot more fun with it. And obviously, he's been voicing the character so long; he understands it a lot more intimately over the years. Um, 
to the point that he's having a lot more fun with certain lines in like the fifth and the sixth film. Um, but I gotta give this from Matthew Lear. Like, this is a guy that from the very first he grabs your attention with his just goofiness and you know, his like he has a certain there's something about him that he draws. He has a screen presence that like he draws himself to you when he's on something. And, you know, you love him at first because he's just a goofy friend that makes you laugh. And, you know, everything from like, you know, when Randy's explaining the rules and he's like, never say I'll be back because you won't be back. You're never back. And immediately you want a beer? Yeah, sure. I'll be back. And like, you know, he, he you know, he makes you laugh. And then when, you know, the big twist comes in, obviously it's revealed that he is one of the two killers. He commits so hard to over-the-top Zaniness. One of the things I love in the... I know you didn't have a chance to watch it. I know you have kind of like, you know, other stuff that kind of happens. Fine. But in the dark... I forget which one is either still screaming or screaming the inside story. I forget which one. But both documentaries are on the on the set that has all three films of you, you know, if you're a physical media person. Um, but he, you know, he talks about that scene quite a bit at length, you know, and everything he did. And he mentioned how, like, it's hard for him to watch that scene now because there's like that scene where he's like yelling and like spit comes out. And he's like, anytime I see it, I just see the spit stuck on my fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he he does like his when he goes over the top for it, and like I said, like the lines he improvised with the whole like my mom's gonna kill me. To me, I always thought, yes, Billy's obviously crazy, but to me, Stu was crazier. Because Billy, yes, he's crazy, but he was, you know, obviously things happened that pushed him to that point. Um, that already took a crazy mind and pushed it, right? Whereas Stu, the reason I think he's crazier is because, like he says, his peer pressure. Like he, he's the he's the wild card in this because he's just like, look, I just want to do what my friend's doing, and I'm having fun doing it. Like it, and but then he has that moment, like I said, when he says that line, "When they be mad at me," he becomes like a child and starts to cry. Like to me, he just really commit and fully sells an absolutely unhinged psychopath. Yeah, I agree. I also went Matthew Lillard. For the same reasons you just laid out. Because, you know, you get the feeling throughout the movie that he's a weirdo. He's a bit of a of an unhinged kind of, you know, wacky high school guy. But then when he's the killer, it's very much, you know, like, oh, that's why he was so nuts. Because the whole time he's like almost like laughing to himself like they don't know. They don't know. Like, And then he gets to be, you know, ah, it was me. And it's just it works because he's you don't know what the hell he's going to do. The way I saw it was, yeah, like, you know, Stu's crazy. Billy's evil. Mm-hmm. Like, he's here to hurt Sydney. That's why he did this. Stu's just like, I want to kill everything because I have fun doing it. Yes. <laughs> and I love it. You know, Death by TV is hilarious. I love when he gets stabbed too deep and he's like, I'm feeling a little woozy here. <laughs> like, just, it's crazy. He's nuts. And, yeah, I love Matthew Lillard, and I wish he'd gotten more... uh acclaim as an actor because he is he's, he's great he's fantastic he's yeah 100 he, yeah he's a fantastic actor he's apparently a super nice dude from what i've heard from a lot of people um and you know yeah it sucks he hasn't got much acclaim but luckily you know the horror community being the horror community has fully embraced him since scream and you know scooby-doo you know and scooby-doo because there's a lot of horror fans that were by by scooby-doo um i know for a fact this information don't don't try to look this up um did you, but, did you ever watch the movie Looney Tunes back in action? Yeah. Do you remember the bit in the commissary where Shaggy, the cartoon, is talking to Matthew Lillard? 
and is like pissed about his his representation about right. like, you know you made me look like a total goof like if you if you mess with me in the sequel i'm coming after you <laughs> i always thought that was so funny <laughs> yeah that was good yeah no he i luckily the horror community has embraced him like i said he does the convention circuit you know he's always like you know horror community loves him so he he's found a home within at least the horror community that's been like no dude we we love you like, we we want to see you do good that's good. All right. Finally, the John Carpenter Award. Best scene of the movie. What to you is the best scene of Scream? Oh, look, this was tough. Okay. I had a few ideals. You know, obviously the iconic opening scene um is great. The the scene where Randy lays out the rules at the house party. Um I God, I had a even like the bathroom scene in the school when Sydney is getting chased by Ghostface is a great little scene. Um, a lot of great stuff. Ultimately, I went with the climactic reveal. Um, and I went with that because to me, and I'm I'm saying this as someone who loves this franchise and and always looks forward to what the reveal is going to be, it's never been topped since Scram. As good as the reveals have been since in a lot of the sequels, like I said, there's a lot of things I like with the minus like Price Scream 3, a lot of things I like with each of the reveals and all the sequels. Um this is the best one. And for all the reasons we've stated, it's like, to me, it's been the least obvious in the killers. Admittedly, you know, as much as I like the two new radio sauce ones, I know a lot of people have kind of made that complaint with the past two ones. Um, which I mean, yeah, yeah. But I, I still like them with that, you know, even with that. Um, and uh, the, to me, yeah, this was the one where like, you really didn't, you know, cause the film did a good job of making you kind of go, well, like maybe it's not Billy. Cause they, you know, he got cleared in the jail, and then you know you see him get stabbed, supposedly. So you're like, man, you know, they do a good job of really making you go, who the fuck is it? Like, who? You know, then they do the big bomb that it's not one, it's two ghost face. Um, and then like I said, the performances from both the all the actors, even you know, Nev Campbell, um, all the actors involved makes for one the like the most riveting scenes in the whole movie, um, all around. So I yeah, the climactic reveal scene in this one to me is the gold standard scream set right out the gate with this first film that they've come close to quite a bit. I'll give them credit. They've come real close. They just, they have never been able to top. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a great moment. I had a feeling you were going to go with that. So I went a little different. Um, I chose Tatum's death scene. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Just from the start, the fact that she is completely unfazed by Ghostface Cause she's like, Oh, it's probably my boyfriend or Randy being, a, being an asshole. Not, you know, Oh, the killer's here. She's holding a bunch of beer. I love the, you know, don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Yeah. And then he has one of the most inventive deaths. I've never seen anybody get killed by a garage door before. No. And look, look, to all the people that are out there going like, I don't like that death because it's so unrealistic. Fuck off. It's a horror film. Like, fuck off. Jesus Christ. It's a goddamn horror. Half the deaths in slasher films are amazingly unrealistic. I don't care because it's a horror movie. You know how hard it is to physically rip people in half? Pretty difficult. You can't. Pretty yeah. hard. Yeah. We know. We know that in real life, that garage door wouldn't even open because they have a whole weight thing on the uh, weight safety thing on garage doors to make sure things like that don't happen. But yeah. dear God, did it make for a cool death? All right. Yeah. Drop your realistic standards out the goddamn window, you assholes. Yeah. I know it's a huge shock, but Scream was a success. With or without you, it was a success. 
I I had to say that because I've literally seen on Twitter like people talk about that, and someone was like, "Look, hot take. I don't like the garage death because I'm really saying someone. Oh God, thank God I'm not the only one. I'm like, who are you people? It's a well, fucking horror film. I think you know what? Let's MythBusters this shit. We'll throw that person into a garage door and we'll try and kill them with it. Even if they don't die, I bet it'll hurt like a motherfucker. What? What's funny, it's like the same people that will bemoan the Scream franchise for not having the most creative kills to begin with. Because admittedly, it's just a lot of stabbing people in the movies. But I'm like, wait, so you you complain that they don't have creative deaths, but then when they throw one in there, you bitch that it's unreal. What is wrong with... Can we just be happy, people? Can we just be happy in a movie? (laughs) Y'all sound fun. Y'all sound like so much fun to talk to at parties. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I also love that no one went back into the garage to get a beer. Isn't that where the no, beer was? That was where the beer was, and apparently she was the only one that could get it. And after that, there was no more beer. And everyone stayed and decided to watch Halloween. That's not how parties work. <laughs> no, no, I, I've been to parties. The movie does not stop the party. Uh, I mean, admittedly, you know, Stu could have like moved the body and then. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he could have, yeah. Probably would happen. But, uh, yeah, I just I love that death. It's creative. It's also fucking hilarious, the parody they do of it in Scary Movie. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I won't get into it, because this is not that podcast, but <laughs> scary. the first three Scary Movies are funny as shit. Yeah, they are. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, well, that about covers it for the awards. Yeah, Scream. Fun to give awards to. There's a lot of options in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard to pick these. Yes, indeed. And uh, with that, let's check out Letterboxd and take a look at what's in the box. Woo! What's in the fucking box? So if you are familiar with Beyond the Bad, uh, you'll know that this segment is the one where we go into Letterboxd and I try to find uh, several funny, amusing reviews of the movie at hand. Try to make co-hosts laugh. Uh, Letterbox is a really fun social media site for film fans. I recommend you check it out. It's free to, free to use and really fun. Uh, Scream is sporting a 4.1 out of 5 stars on Letterbox. That's, that's fucking good. <laughs> that's, that's near Damn. perfect. That's a far cry from how, you know, doing this on Beyond the Bad and all the bad letterbox reviews. I know. It was, it's really hard to find, like, funny ones for positively re- reviewed movies because most people are like, you know, oh, this changed my life. What a transcendent experience. But sometimes people will be like, you know, like this one. <laughs> this one's from... Okay. Some of the people that say that, I'm like, let's calm down a bit. I know. It's like, who you, who's, who's ass you kissing? Like, you're not getting a job from this. <laughs> uh, this is from Kennedy. Made me laugh. Um, I relate to Randy because I too scream at everybody about the rules of cinema when it is not appropriate or asked for at social events. Four stars. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah, look, that's the part of being a film fan. There's there's things I've gone on about when uh you know when I'm in a group setting and people start talking about movies and I I can't help myself. My nerd my nerdisms come out and I'm like, oh shit, I'm the only one that apparently cares and no one asks for all this information sweet <laughs> yeah but then i'm like i'm gonna go talk to someone else because y'all are boring yeah i usually just leave the group at that point i'm just like all right i'm going to awkward myself out of this right now 
Yeah, like now goodbye forever. Uh, this one's from Matt Singer. Movies hurt people. Specifically, if you drop a tube television playing the original Halloween on a dude's head, that hurts a lot. Four steps. <laughs> it does hurt. It, it, yeah. Look, those TVs back then were heavy as shit. I had to move a couple when we were making the my family was making the transi- transition to like the flat screens. Oh boy, that, that shit was heavy. I'm so thankful that a TVs got lighter and like way more high definition in my lifetime and B that shit is so much easier to plug into it. The HDMI cable is the greatest invention of my lifetime. Dude, you plug in the power button, the power cable and the HDMI and you're done. After that, it's any other accessories you want to plug in. You remember the, like the three colored like plugins and you had it to be on like channel three like, dude, ugh. yeah, the, the shit we had to do just to play fucking PlayStation back then, man. I remember going to friends' house, be like, okay, we got to play the PlayStation 2. And dude, especially if, like, you know, like, oh, hey, man, my parents are gone. We can use the living room TV. <laughs> oh, was, my God. Dude, so fucking excited as a kid, but dear God, you got to, like, fucking move the TV without breaking their fucking prized huge ass boxy living room tv and then try to plug all this shit in because they usually had like their own dvd player sh- plugged in all those Eric's. oh god it was worth it in the end but it was a nightmare and then god bless you didn't fucking unplug anything at the end of the night and you got woken up by their parents hey unplug the playstation we need the tv <laughs> you ever plug the the av cords into the wrong hole and hear like that bzzz, like vibrating loud super noise yeah oh yeah <laughs> now it's just one uh, cord, plug and play thank god yeah and everyone has big tv so there's no more like let's go grab the living room tv because it's super late at night or the parents are gone for whatever reason <laughs> oh boy all right this next one's from liam f this episode of scooby-doo certainly got a bit out of hand four and a half stars Shaggy needs to calm the fuck down. <laughs> and there's no dog. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, and this last one's from Dakota Joaquin. Look, look. Honestly, as someone who is a well, actually, my dog's been doing much better. But for a while there, I was actually very happy if I watched something with a dog on it because a <laughs> uh, Duke would like he would stop, but he would he would run at my TV. And his nose would touch it. I get scared a lot. Um, <laughs> he's done now because I've gotten mad several times, but he's he's finally stopped doing it. But I'm actually in the past was happy if there was no dog on the TV. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, I I would love if you know. I know that at the time, Matthew Lillard was not yet Shaggy, so it'd be funny if he also you know if Stu just happened to have a great day and he piled around. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, I mean, you know, Scooby, Skeet, kind of, kind of. Oh, that was boy. funny. Um, I decided with that holding on my dog. If it's an animated dog, he won't do shit. His oh, brain cannot. Yeah, his brain cannot process an animated dog. But if it's a real dog, it's like game on. That's funny. Your dog's like a like a litmus test for realistic dog depiction yeah. in film. Yes, it's like Ex Machina. It was a dog AI. Yes. 
he somehow knows the difference. I'm kind of scared. Well, if you're ever like, you know, if there's ever a, a dog outside your your apartment and Duke's not reacting to the bark, then you're that's a Terminator. <laughs> and you need to get out of there. <laughs> right? Shut. Oh, probably. Oh, my God. Okay. Dakota Joaquin did this last one. So apparently Wes Craven had initially turned down directing Scream. He only changed his mind after he was confronted by a 10-year-old boy who accused Craven of going soft and having more guts back in the day when he was directing films like Last House on the Left. What? You said a 10-year-old boy. Oh, that's the next part. All I want to know is who the fuck was this child that was familiar enough with Wes Craven's filmography to determine that he had been going soft and how much did his goddamn therapy cost? Five stars. (laughs) Yeah. Look. Look, I am an advocate of like being against this whole censorship thing. Like, you as a parent should dictate what you think is okay for your kids to watch. I don't know if I would be super okay with my 10 year old kid watching Last House on the Left, either the original or the remake, because there's gonna be a lot of eye covering for extended rape scenes. Um, but. Yeah, how did the, how much of this shit did this kid watch to go like you've gone soft, Wes? The well, new nightmare movies they suck. Well, even that like it, this kid had seen it and wasn't phased. He was like, "The hell are you? Like, what have you become, Wes? Jesus Christ, where are your balls? Who, who is this kid? The Night Stalker? We just don't know it." Well, I love that Wes was like clearly shaken by that. It's like what? Yeah. Ten-year-old lost intense. your balls, and all of a sudden you're completely rethinking <laughs> your career thus far. I, you know what? I want all things judged by kids nowadays. So, like for example, uh, there's a famous story with uh, Slipknot in their first two albums. They like said "fuck" almost every other word, right? And a fan wrote to Corey Taylor saying, "I bet you can't write an album without using you know the f word." And he said, "Fuck you, watch this," and <laughs> did and did. <laughs> And did their third album with zero uses of the effort, and it was like their biggest hit album. Like it was a huge hit. That's where a lot of the songs people know from Slipknot came from. Like before, I forget and do alley and shit. I would love that. I know if that was like a ten year old. You have no balls, Corey. I hope it was the same ten year old. <laughs> I hope this guy's like, see you, Wes. I got to go tell Corey Taylor he's full of shit. <laughs> This badass 10-year-old is just on a quest to make sure all of his favorite shit happens the way it was supposed to go. <laughs> oh god. I love the same 10-year-old. Now that I'm saying now I've put in Russ Craven in his place. I need to go talk to Corey Taylor. Wes went home and was like. Damn, that kid had a point. <laughs> Maybe I gotta do this. We have that kid to thank for Scream. <laughs> yeah, that is that's insane. That a 10 year old who's just like, You're soft, dude. And he he took that to heart. He's like, Did a 10 year old just say I'm soft? <laughs> it's you know, kids don't have a filter, insults are real coming from kids, insults and praise. 
you, you know, they're not going to filter shit. They're going to tell you exactly what they're thinking. Right? <laughs> God damn it. All right. Get, get on that 10-year-old. You got to scream. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. So that was fun. This has been a blast. Uh, before we go, let's do a oh. quick ranking of all six Scream movies. Spoiler free for the new one. Just what we thought. Where does it rank? You know, worst to best for Scream. You go first. Okay. Well, I want to first preface what I really hope this 10 year old kid isn't like going come after me after this and put me in my place because he sounds intense. I hope it's like a ghost who's perpetually 10 years old and just shows up to tell people when they're losing their edge. <laughs> like, not in a ghost way, just like in a, like a kid with think- like Keely shoes and a backwards cap, think- like leaning against the wall, being like, What happened to you, man? You think that's how we got Jackass forever? He was just yes. like, you really, you guys aren't going to do a fourth one, okay? You guys just aren't doing stunts anymore because you're too old, huh? Pussies. So that rocket make you lose your balls, Johnny? Is that why? Is that what? Is that what's happening? You went. You've gone soft. What happened, man? Oh, oh I'm God. sorry, Steve. You you didn't do enough extreme shit. You don't want to do anything anymore. Okay. This kid is why Dave Chappelle came back. He's like, what happened, Dave? You used to you used to mean something. <laughs> what, what? When you walked away from the money, you walked away with your balls too, Dave. <laughs> All these artists are just like, well, fuck you, kid. I've still got it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I love this kid. <laughs> oh God! All right. On that note. With that said, I, another actual thing I want to preface. With this said, my least favorite screen film, again, this is a franchise where my least favorite is a seven, okay? That, to me, I want to preface with how consistently good this series is compared to most horror franchises, which does not happen often. So, on that note, six is Scream 3. I... It's very obvious, Kevin Williamson, there was a lot of production issues with it, so it's very obvious on a lot of that stuff. It shows in the final product. So for me, Scream 3. Uh, five might be the hot takes. I know a lot of people put this as their least favorite, but Scream 4, I will defend it. I think Scream 4 is a good movie. Um, Yes, it has a fucking Instagram look to it. I understand that. But I do think this was a return to form with Craven back, Williamson back. Like it, this one works for me. I really like Scream Four. Um, four will be Scream Twenty Twenty Two. Uh, I again a solid fucking comeback for this franchise, especially obviously you know us wondering can it continue about Wes Craven? This proved it can. So really like Scream Twenty Twenty Two. Three is a new kid on the block. Scream Six really. I've, I've seen this twice in theaters now. Um, you know, two different people and it. It really, I this is a case of a sequel that just took what worked and built and ran with it. So, really, really like Scream Six. Um, two, this might be a shocker the original Scream OG. <laughs> okay, yes, OG, and that's because my number one is actually Scream Two. This is again, much like what Scream Six did, a sequel that built and ran with it and made a really entertaining sequel. Yes, I. With that said, do I say on my statement that the reveal in Scream One is the best reveal in the entire? Yes, 
but Scream 2 is probably the one I've gone back to actually the most. I just have so much fun with this sequel. I like a lot of the characters. Much like Scream 6, things I can apply with like liking the returning cast better, liking the new characters quite a bit. A lot of that stuff is honestly applied to Scream 2. I like the original cast a lot more. I like the return. I like a lot of the new characters they threw into it. I, I really, 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 really like Scream 2. It's a, it's a fun, fun movie for me. <laughs> I did not see that coming. That's awesome. Very cool. Scream 2 wins. Very exciting. Yes. Uh, my, again, I like all six of these movies. I like some better than others. Uh, my lowest score is probably a seven as well. Uh, Scream 4 is my lowest. Uh, okay. I just don't, I, I, I feel like there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, I thought the twist was kind of like, oh, okay, it's that guy. And it just, I didn't feel a lot invested in Scream 4. Um, I've seen it three times now, and I honestly couldn't tell you a lot about it. I mean, I'll take your seven over the six you originally gave it. So I, I like that. At least at least went up one. Oh, like, maybe it was a six. I don't remember. It's whatever whatever I have it on. I honestly don't remember. Right. It's a six or seven. <laughs> I I mean, I, I, I do respectfully disagree on, on Scream 4. I quite like it. But I know, like, for a lot of fans, it is, like, the low point for them. But... Next up is Scream 3. Uh, I get it. You know, it's weaker. The, the villains got into the whole, you know, the secret brother who orchestrated the whole damn thing. All three movies. It's like, really? Yep. And something that, like, I'm going to say it, the Saw franchise has really be, been running with. I'm, hope, I'm waiting for the, you know, Jigsaw's brother, Jim Kramer, who moonlights as a, a, a economics guy on TV. Uh, you know what's funny? People who have not, people have not seen Saul think like they now got spoiled and know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, no, no, no. People who've seen Saul know what I'm talking about in that reference. Yeah, come on. The, the secret, secret, secret apprentice. Oh, yeah. I was okay. like, you, you are the one I trust above all to continue my work. You've said that to like four people. It's lost all minute. I watched the past four films where you kept saying that. Actually. <laughs> oh, okay. What I like more about Scream 3 is the idea of like murder in Hollywood, killing on a film set. I like it, that. It, it's a cool, I'm not going to take that away. It's a really cool concept. I I personally just think it should have been utilized better. Fair enough. But it is, it is a cool concept. I'll give you that. Absolutely. Yeah. Next up is Scream 2. Wow. Okay. I didn't expect this one to be so low. Yeah. I, and I got no beef with Scream 2. Like, you know. All of all but Scream Four are eights to me, so we're all you know, it's all it's all positive, it's all love here. Uh, Scream Two, I like a lot. I think the uh, I like the college setting. I like the new characters. I like the you know Sarah Michelle Gellar getting killed. It's cool, mm. uh, and yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Next up is Five Cream. I'm never not going to call it Five Cream. I should have never told you that. It's, it's hilarious. And it's perfect. It, it has overstated its welcome, but go on. It distinguishes the two movies perfectly without me having to say four extra numbers. Just say Scream 22. It's like Halloween 18. I don't, I just say how, well, actually, no, I don't have a distinction. I'll have to figure something out. You know um, how they could have fixed it? They could have just gone with the, the, an original old ass title they had for the longest time. Halloween Returns. It was right there. Right there for the taking. That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, or was I? Five cream. I like 
this, you know, this was a, there was a lot riding on this. A lot of people were, you know, hesitant. It was the first scream without Wes, but it perfectly takes his legacy and puts it in a glass bottle and just protects it. Um, the two guys they got excelled. The, the ghost face they had was a tall, scary looking motherfucker, which is weird because neither of the killers were that tall. <laughs> yep. It started the annoying debate that's been going on now that, oh my God, is it Stu? Because Matthew Lillard's a very tall person. And, you know, I finally got to see Dewey kick it, which was great. Fuck um, you. God. God. And we get to see a new generation of, you know, survivors with their new set of rules, you know, talking about elevated horror and requels. It was just, it was a very timely scream that worked for a new generation. I really liked that. I, I tuned you out completely with your stupid Dewey comment. <laughs> I prefer Officer Doofy from Scary Movie. God, who are you? Tired. Oh, I'm tired. Uh, next up is Scream 6. Scream 6 fucking rocked. Bringing Ghostface to New York City, having a whole new playground to play in. I love everyone around the murder not giving a fuck because this is New York. It's not my problem. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and it was just... Oh, this was. Hmm? I'm going to say the set pieces is how they utilized New York was great. Like how he was doing shit in front of people and Showing like, wow, New York is cold. They don't give a shit. <laughs> On the fucking subway in front of dozens of witnesses, it was just like, <laughs> and then just walking off New York. New but, York. Um, yeah, what a town. If you can make it there, then I hope you survive. Um, moving to New York. <laughs> and this, this ghost face was very personal. Very much like, I want to hurt you, and I'm going to rip apart everybody connected to you. It felt a lot like the first ghost face. This was a personal vendetta that was vicious and violent and unforgivable. And yes. I liked that. I loved the shrine. I thought that was a brilliant set piece. I loved the, I won't go much, go too much into it because you know, it's still out in theaters. People got to see it, but it's really good. It's exciting. It's fresh. It's new. It's got some really inventive kills, a good bunch of characters mm -hmm. and uh, is to me second only to the original. Number yeah. one. Is yeah, actually, real quick. Scream 6 to me has some of the, best lines delivered by Ghostface. I think some of the some Barge Attraction's uh, best uh, stuff he has to say. Yeah, it's not really about movies now. Now it's about murder. Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's cool. like yeah, a lot of the lines you can deliver, he's relishing it. Like the, the phone call he has with um Gail, it's like one of the best scenes. When he's just like goading her, like, oh, you couldn't save Dewey. Poor sweet Dewey. He's like, and He's like, well, never, you know, Sydney was always the main character, and Dewey was a fan favorite. What, what does that make you, Gail? And like, just the way he's goading her, I, I loved when she pulled that shit on him. She's like, hey, can I push you on holding? I love that break. Wait, what? And she, I'm like, yes, finally, someone just did that. Yep, that was fantastic. That was awesome. Yeah, this was this was this was a blast. I I love this. Uh, but you know, to me, nothing beats the original Scream. It was you know, the game changer. It was established a great new franchise, some iconic characters, and still holds up. You know, this is a fun movie. It's still a great movie, even if you know what's coming. It's still a great watch. And you know, to me, that counts. So, uh, recap with with your like just the numbers. 
with just the numbers? What? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Six, oh, six. so yeah, so it's just like how I had it, how we always do it. Yeah. Okay, I don't know why you said it so weird. Like you don't have to say scream; you just say one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, that's oh, also, that sounds silly. How is this confusing? I, I got confused immediately. <laughs> God, you know, I'm just gonna do it my way. Six, do it your way. You do it your way. Six scream three, five scream four. Yeah, see, I like this. Fourth was scream 2022. Number three was scream six, the new kid on the block. Two, the original scream, and uh, number one, I had scream two. So, ha, fantastic, great, good job. <laughs> I had scream four. Scream three, scream two, five cream, scream six, and scream. So there you go. <laughs> Those are our rankings of the scream franchise. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I had to throw in an extra word there and confuse me. <laughs> this, this was really fun. I like this new structure. I like the way this, yeah, this is going to be a blast. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm@gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our Letterboxd accounts for daily reviews. You can search me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Or you can go to filmgasm.com where I have a link to my Letterboxd account and I post up all my reviews there as well. And there you can also hear all of our shows and check out trailers for upcoming movies. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, feel free to click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on support this podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month if you like us, $5 a month if you love us, and $10 a month if you can't live without us. All donations go right back into the podcast, recording equipment, advertising, movie rental budget. We appreciate any donations. We hope you like the show. Uh, thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their constant friendship and contributions to the show. Austin Johnson, Caleb Leger, Josh Allred, Colton Jenkins, Christian Aguilar, Isabel Gonzalez, Jeremy Johnson, and Adam Johnson. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. And thanks to you for checking out our show and making it this far. And remember, if a psycho calls you when you're alone, wants to know your favorite scary movie, you'd best remember your trivia because he's not going to stop. Take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Pussy!